0: We thank you for listening to the weekly sermon of First United Methodist Church, Missouri City, Texas. We're a church that's making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. For more information about the church and its ministries or how we can pray for you, visit us on the web at fumcmc.org. If you desire to make a quick contribution in support of our ministries, you can text to give. Simply text the amount you want to give to 281-369-4870 and follow the instructions. And now, as you listen, we hope that you find this podcast meaningful and transformational in your journey of faith. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a little test. Oh, I bet I forgot something. I forgot to tell the ushers pass out index cards. It's a frazzled morning. So here's what you do. If you have a bulletin, take your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, steal one. If you can't steal one, borrow one. If you can't borrow one, don't use a hymnal. Uh, you need to have uh, something to write with, something to write on. Everyone needs to play, everyone needs to participate. Uh, because, uh, yeah, you too, especially. You. You have music you can Can they write on their music? Can they write? Okay, they got stuff. All right, so this is a test, um, and it's simple, it's only five questions, right? there is no right there is no wrong answer unless you're caught lying then there's a wrong answer it is not yes it is not no you are going to score yourself i'm going to read you a question and if that you then have five different choices on how to answer right choice number one you got those up there for me is if you answer rarely or never, you write down one. If you answer seldom, you write down two, uh, sometimes three, often four, very often five, right? Now, here is the thing. If you are sitting next to someone and you know they just lied, you are allowed to stand up and yell, liar, liar, pants on fire, okay? Because this I know some of you, some of you are going to lie right through your teeth. And when I catch you Mennonites don't lie, right? Right? Melissa, can I introduce your friends? Should I do it before the test after? Let's see how they do on the test first. Okay, here's first question: No lying. Do you help other people drive by telling them which route to take, when to turn, where to park? Remind them that the traffic light has changed. If you do it often, it's a five. If you rarely do it, you're, it's a one. Who are we pointing at? Oh. My husband is pointing right at me. So you would be a five. Oh, yeah, I'm a seven. Oh, oh seven. I love honesty. So there's one. Number two. Do you devote a lot of attention and energy to keeping your personal space organized? Five often, one rarely, somewhere in between. Number three, do you insist on being right? Having things done your way or having the final word? Kathy Thompson will answer for you, that's a five, right? We got eight. She's going to set the record. Okay. Do you overplan simple activities? In other words, let me give you a hint. If you're going on vacation and you write out an agenda before the vacation, you're a five. What's what? Oh, do you overplan simple activities? How you doing back there, David? You doing good? Good. Do you give people a lot of shoulds and oughts, offering unsolicited advice, suggestion, and constructive criticism? Five if you do it a lot, one if you rarely do it, and we can sing to you, liar, liar, pants on fire. All right, so now you add up your score. Add up your score. If you scored between a 21 and 25, welcome to the club of control freaks. How bad is it? I stopped at five, even though I know I'm eight. So, what'd you get? Uh, if you're 16 to 20, you have some control issues. If you're 11 through 15, you can live and let live. And if you're five through 10, then we're going to sing liar liar pants on fire. Anybody get a 25? 25. 24. Oh, we have 25? Oh. Did you really get 25? 22. Oh, okay, we're the same. I'm a 22. We we offer marriage counseling right after church. <laughs> Did anyone score less than a 10? Seriously, less than 10? Mennonites are just easygoing people, live and let. What'd you score? Yeah. 17? Is that right? <laughs> and how many years have you been married? There you go, because you know the answer. She said so. Go ahead and stand. I want you to greet one another, and while you greet one another, share your scores. Samantha, what'd you score? That's all? I pegged you at like a 21. What would you have scored? Oh, you are such lying. Okay. And they're here working in Wharton. Have a seat. Have a seat. Have a seat. You're on my time now. Yo, you, you guys are just messing me up. J- Jerry passes away. You move to the other side of the church. Um, okay. We're going to... Um, if my team, if the team from the Mennonite Disaster Relief will please stand. We'd like to recognize you. Now, that's a stand. Um, the, these folks have been repairing, rebuilding houses in Wharton, If you want to know more about it, they're going to hang out a little after church. Melissa is going to hang out a little after church, and um, you can ask questions and find out what's going on in Wharton. It is amazing. We are so happy you are here. I will have to say this is the first time I've had Mennonites in my church, like ever. Welcome. All right. So if you took the test seriously, even though it's a silly test, however, I did not make the test up. It is a real test that the uh, American Psychiatric Association put out, whatever it's called. And I'm a 22. And, and the reason why I'm not higher is because I could score five on the first one, except I always drive. So I'm never telling people how to drive because i I, <laughs> such a control person. I, I drive. Now, my struggle, though, in this control thing, I mean, I don't try to control my environment a lot, and, and I don't really work hard at controlling people. My biggest struggle is the wrestling matches I get in with God over who's <laughs> going to be in control and who's not. Anyone else ever have those? Does anyone ever win those? You know, I, I, I lose all the time, but it never teaches me to just quit wrestling. And God and I are on this, this, this path of, I want to be in control, God is in control. Now, I had a, I had a hard time with in in seminary, and I'm still having a hard time. And I was introduced to a, uh, a theologian um, Uh, um, a monk by the name of thomas merton and uh if you read merton's stories uh if you read the seven-story mountain or his thoughts of solid thoughts and solitude you you begin to get an understanding of why i was attracted to thomas merton now i I just want to go on record thomas merton and i have nothing in common you know he spent a hunk of his life in silence and solitude I can't do five minutes in silence and solitude, right? He, he was brilliant. I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. You know kind of how that goes. And, 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 but when you read his stuff, you begin to get this sense that as in touch with God as he was, as spiritual as he was, there was this, this wrestling match between him and God, and it took him most of his life to finally give it up and abandon his life and surrender fully to God. And when he did that was about 1956 when he wrote a prayer while he was in solitude. It's simply known as the Merton prayer. If you're, um, if you're, if you're cat, from the Catholic background, it would be called a, a prayer of abandonment. Um, and it was Merton finally fully surrendering to God. And, and the prayer is on your bulletin on the cover, and you'll get a copy of it in the, in the email after, sometime after church today, and it goes like this, My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem lost. And in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me. You will never leave me to face my perils alone. That is my prayer. And when I first read it, as the line goes, Thomas Merton had me at hello. When I read the first line, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. And when I read that in seminary, it resonated with me. And when I read it and pray it now, it resonates with me. And it is my reminder that I am not in control. And I read that opening line, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. And I begin to think uh, back to the Hebrew people, the children of God. And, and, I, and I wonder if they would have had a copy of this prayer and if they would have read it every morning, if their lives might have been uh, might have been a different story, you know. Maybe the whole book of Exodus might have never been written because the the people in the wilderness, the the Israelites, the Hebrew people, God's chosen ones, they uh, they were I, they were control freaks. In fact, one of their biggest problems wasn't worshiping idols. It it, it wasn't. Um, really disobeying God, one of their biggest problems in the wilderness dealt with the argument who was in control. the people in control or is God in control? And what I discovered is God took them to what I like to call wilderness school. He wanted to teach them a lesson. He wanted them to be in a place where there was no distractions and they could focus on him. And again and again and again, God taught these people lessons about who is in control, but especially about who's not in control. And he did it in brilliant ways, right? Um, if you have your Bibles, open them to Exodus. We're going to, uh, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 16, um, And it is just beautiful. Verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to finish up with 16 through 20, or 13 through 20. And uh, this is a story a lot of people know, but it just is one of my favorite stories. Um, The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by flesh pots and ate our fill of bread and meat, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. I just want to stop right there, and I wasn't going to do commentary, but what the heck? I mean, did you catch what they said? These people had just been freed. They are no longer slaves. They are now free men, free women. And what they're wishing for is to be dead. Because they miss the um, dinners while they were slaves. And in their mind, the dinner was like um, fondue, right? A melting pot with bread and meat and vegetables and fruit. Now, I would have loved to have been Moses right then. Because I think I would have reminded them that when you were in Egypt, you were a slave. No slaves that I know get fondue for dinner. But in their mind, because they were no longer in control, that looked better. Death looked better. We're going to pick up the story. In the evening quails came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. And Tony Tiger said, they're great. Frosted flakes. Right? Did you not get that? It's what the Bible says. There was Did someone really just groan? (laughs) There was a fine, flaky substance like frost. Frosted. I'm not making it up. (laughs) And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Next time someone tells you that manna means bread from heaven, you can say to them, liar, liar, pants on fire, because manna literally translates to, what is it? They didn't know what it was, and they were like, what is it? Manna, what is it? And then, to go on with the story, then, then God set up these rules You collect what you need, you eat what you need, and you save none of it for the next day. And when they saved it for the next day, do you remember what happened? They woke up, it was filled with maggots, and it stunk to high heaven. And God was trying to teach them a lesson. I am in control, not you. I will give you enough food for today. I will take care of you for today, but tomorrow you have to trust me. And if you don't, and you try to take control, there's going to be maggots and stink everywhere. God wanted to teach his people. He didn't stop there. If you have your Bible, open open to Numbers. Um, numbers uh, 9, verse 13. This is, the, this is how the Israelites knew when to move on the day the tabernacle was set up the cloud covered the tabernacle the tent of the covenant and from evening until morning it was over the tabernacle having the appearance of fire it was always so the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night and whenever the cloud lifted from the tent then the israelites would move and in the place where the cloud settled down the israelites would camp and the story goes on if the cloud was over the tabernacle they did what They stayed. If the cloud was not over the tabernacle, they did what? They moved. It was that. Stay, move, stay, move. And again, they had no control over what they were doing. When God told them to move, they move. When God told them to stay, they stay. And they gave up control. And when they figured that out, what did they do? They grumbled. They complained. And I always wonder what would have happened if they simply would have had the prayer of Thomas Merton that says, God, I don't know where I'm going. And I think about those, 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 those children of God wandering around the wilderness, and, I, and just about the time I'm ready to kind of slam on them, I realize I'm really no different. And I finally get it. You see, God wanted to bring his people to the promised land. I mean, that was his goal. But what was more important to him than that was making sure they were the right kind of people. When they got there. Now I don't know about your life. But there are things in my life I cannot control. No way, no how. I I can't control what the Methodist Church is going to do. Whether I'll be employed or not employed after May. I don't know. I have no control over it. I can't control uh, where the bishop and the cabinet appoints me. I, I go, I serve at the pleasure of the bishop. I can't control when people who I love are diagnosed with cancer and I have to sit by their bedside. I can't control that. I can't control when I have to watch a marriage and a relationship fall apart. I can't control when someone I love who is in recovery takes a step out of recovery. I can't control that. And what I've learned is the only thing I can control in this entire world was what kind of person I'm going to become. And that's what the lesson God was teaching those children. What kind of person will you become? I mean, Leah did a beautiful job of explaining it to the children. Will you be a person of grace or a person of ungrace? Will you be someone who brings peace or someone who brings strife? Will you be open or will you be closed? Will you love or will you not love? And when God is trying to teach us to be in control, that he is in control, he just is trying to shape us into the children he wants us to be. And Merton said it beautifully. God wants children whose desire is to please him. Doesn't mean we're always going to make it happen. But what Merton says is, my desire to please you pleases you you know trusting God is a risky thing and it's a scary thing because you gotta give up control and I can't think of a better place to to begin that than than taking a step right here in a few moments, Barbara's going to give an invitation. There's going to be a liturgy, and you're going to come forward, and you're going to receive uh, some, some bread, and, and you're going to take that step. And, and as you come out of the pew, I encourage you to say to God, my Lord God, I don't know where I'm going. And then come with open hands and receive. Receive this gift of bread and of wine. And make that your surrender. My Lord, my God, I don't know where I'm going. But I know that wherever I go, you will walk with me. For even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there. My Lord, my God, I don't know where I'm going. That's how it begins. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace both now and forever. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit go from this place and may the peace and the love and the grace of God go with you. And may you know, may you remember, may you never forget that there is nothing you can do. Nothing. That will ever make God love you less. Because when God sees us, he, doesn't see the mistakes that we make. He simply says, wow, you're nothing but the best of the best of the best. And can you imagine for just a moment what your day might be like if you lived it believing that? I think you'd have a good day.